Well, here we are. It is time, Simba. If you understand that reference, you might be about the age where we should be working together. It's possible. But it is now one of three times a year that I'm accepting clients for my freedom framework, overcoming food sensitivities and increasing energy without unnecessary restriction. My goal for my one-on-one clients is to take them through frameworks and explore tools for achieving 50, 80, 90% of their goals in just a few months and show them how to continue to heal on their own so they don't need me anymore. Honestly, I think we're doing great one-on-one work here, helping women that would otherwise be falling through the cracks, thinking that they're just aging, that they're just moms, that they just, and it may be true that they just have stress when really those stress hormones and their other core systems just really need some serious support and some serious love to serve them for years to come without symptoms. So if you'd like to clear inflammation, eczema, food sensitivities, or improve energy and brain clarity, I'd love to chat with you. You can book a call with me at kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, and that link will be in the show notes even though it feels so urgent in the moment, you have time. Like you have time to sit and read a book about Lyme disease if you want and decide what your plan of action is going to be before you just jump into something. Welcome to the Less Stressed Life Podcast, where our only priority is providing those aha moments to uplevel your life, health, and happiness. Your host, integrative dietitian nutritionist Krista Bigler, helps health-conscious women reduce the stress and confusion around food, fatigue, digestive, and skin issues at LessStressNutrition.com. Now, on to the show. All right, today on The Less Stressed Life, I am delighted to welcome back our guest again because I've always enjoyed our conversations. Her name is Samantha Lee Wright. She's the host of the world's number one essential oil podcast, The Essential Oil Revolution, with over three and a half million downloads to date. She teaches others how to use the power of nature for better health and happiness. She's a master at helping people clear the toxins from their lives and take control of their health. She's a wife, mother, author, speaker, and a fierce advocate for living life on your own terms. Welcome back, Samantha. Hi, Krista. How are you? I am so well. And so we've chatted. We did kind of like a 101 essential oils once upon a time. And then we followed up with what I loved, which was really CBD versus copaiba oil. And I don't know if there was another one after that, but somewhere in between all of that conversation. Well, we had, you've been on my show a couple of times too. Maybe so that's yeah, I feel like they all kind of merge together. But right. yeah, likewise, every time we talk, I just, I feel like I learned something new and I love getting to share my experience with your audience. So thanks for having me back. Yeah. Well, I think that's the real makeup or DNA of a podcast person. As I told someone earlier today, my background was in journalism and nutrition, and it was literally just because I loved collecting and connecting information. And so I can't think of a perfect, a more perfect place. So when you say I always learn something, that's funny because that's my favorite thing. So I hope the listeners agree that you always want to learn something from a podcast. That's kind of how you make your life a little bit better, a little bit at a time. So one of the last times we talked, you were just telling me about your year of rest and how you were dealing with Lyme disease in your family. So I decided to have, and it been a topic I wanted to dig into, but how often can you get the perspective of the family member or the person who was affected and kind of what that looked like for you? Because it was one of your younger children. So I won't give away the story here, but that's really where I want to go today is just talking through that story. Because as someone who I respect as a health advocate and someone who is knowledgeable and savvy, I wanted to get your take on how this affected life and kind of how you approached it. So anyway, I appreciate you coming on. So 
I'll just jump straight into the topic. Let's set the stage. What year are we in at the beginning of this experience where we're talking Lyme disease with one of your kids? So this all began in February of 2019. So we're, yeah, over almost two years to that day. And to give you sort of the short kind of punchline to this is that we did not get a positive Lyme diagnosis till November of that year. So it took, what is that, seven months Mm -hmm. to figure out that that's what was happening this whole time. So the first seven months of my journey with my daughter really were the most frightening and the most unknown and like, what the heck is going on? And there's like a lot of stories I could tell just within that. And then when things shifted in November, when we finally got a positive diagnosis, that's when there was that little bit of comfort, at least of like, okay, now everything makes sense. And now we have so many more answers of what we should be doing But still, it's an extremely scary diagnosis, too, because anyone who knows anything about Lyme disease knows that it is a very, very difficult disease to treat if you don't catch it early. And that's sort of the bright side of Lyme, too. You know, as soon as people get by a tick or something or they have any sort of symptoms, they kind of freak out and they're like, oh, my God. It's the end of my life, but I kind of always remind people, oh, dude, like you caught that the first week or two or three and you're taking antibiotics, like you're going to be fine. I promise. Like antibiotics are very effective at treating Lyme disease early on. It's really more for the people that don't see that tick bite and don't notice those symptoms early on. And then it sits in the body and then it really like finds its way into your body in these really like devious, nasty kind of ways. So actually, I'm a little confused by is February, it doesn't seem like a real hot Lyme disease season. Maybe I'm mistaken, because you're in North Carolina. So I know that your winter isn't extremely different than mine doesn't seem like the time. So did this happen before and you started seeing that stuff manifest in February? That's our best guess. And that's really still kind of the big question mark in our brains is, well, when did she contract the Lyme? It could have been a year before that. It could have been six months before that could have been two years before that. We really don't know. I can kind of look back in hindsight. So when we got the diagnosis, she was five years old. So in hindsight, I can kind of look back in my brain to when she was maybe two years old or three years old or three and a half. And she had like flu-like symptoms and like a cold kind of that as parents who kind of I don't know, I tend to just let the body heal itself. And I kind of throw my natural things at symptoms as they arrive. I'm just like, yeah, she's just got a cold, you know, she's fine. In hindsight, I'm like, oh, was that like a week after she had been bitten? Was that the big sign? Because my daughter has dark skin. She's biracial. She has beautiful, beautiful curly hair. That's like, you know, she's like a mermaid. Everyone wants her hair. But those factors combined mean, you know, finding a tick on her head, almost impossible. And uh, and then noticing some sort of bullseye rash on her skin, very hard to do. Plus, it's actually fewer than 50% of people who get infected that will actually get the rash either. So sometimes it just sort of happens like flu-like symptoms come up or sometimes they don't. So that's sort of the tricky thing. Yeah, you couldn't determine one way or the other. I mean, as you are rashing it over in your brain, there's nothing you could have done really differently, I think, right? 
Yeah. I mean, that's the the painful question that all parents sort of ask themselves is, gosh, like, should I not let her play in the woods? You know, should I have checked her for ticks every single day? Every time like she came home from school, she went to a preschool that they played a lot sort of like by the river and close to trees and stuff. And living where I do, which is in the mountains of North Carolina, Lyme disease is very prevalent And it's something that I heard about all the time. Like I heard about so-and-so who has it or this friend or that kid or whoever had Lyme disease. And always, always, always in my mind, I would go, oh, that would never happen to us. You know, Mm -hmm. that'll never happen to me. And so even though it was something that was always on my mind and when we would play in the woods, yeah, I'd try to tick check them. You know, it happened anyway. Right. So my next question is, do you feel like you caught it early? When we say, oh, antibiotics are effective a couple weeks in, what point is it not early anymore? <laughs> what do you I think? I'd say past like two months, then you're not in that early phase anymore. And I think after, and this is not like a doctor speaking, this right. is sort of just based on what I've heard through the grapevine and what I've read and things. But, you know, if you can catch it within like the first week or two, that's ideal. If you can you know, figure out what's going on and still treat it within the first two months, then that's great. And your chances are probably very high of beating it. And then once you get past that, just the longer that it sits in your body, the the harder it is going to be to kick it back out. Totally. All right. So let me go back to part of the beginning, which is what was wrong? How did you know something was wrong? So the only sign that something was wrong was swelling that started to appear in her right knee. So one day she was playing around and she kind of tripped and fell pretty hard into our couch. And I actually wasn't there at the time. My husband was there and he looks at her knee and is like, oh my gosh, that looks like totally swollen. Like, did she, you know, chip a bone in there? Did she sprain her knee or something? Like, we were just thinking this was a physical kind of injury And then in hindsight, we're like, well, that was very swollen, like immediately after she hit it. So I think that she'd been, you know, having some swelling for a while that we just didn't really notice. And she has a very high pain tolerance as well. So she's the kind of kid that really like, even when we started going to rheumatologists, and we'll get into that a little bit later, they were always kind of amazed of like, are you sure that doesn't hurt? You know, like, so I think she'd been living with it for a while. And we just didn't really notice, which makes me feel like a terrible parent. But you know, it is. It's just what it is. Yeah, it is what it is. <laughs> so, yeah, so she had this swelling that, you know, the first place we went was just her general doctor. And, you know, he looked and was like, you know, it looks like a, a sprain or a swelling. He didn't think much of it either. He's like, ice it, give her some ibuprofen, she'll be fine. She didn't get fine. She didn't get better. Weeks later, we were referred to the orthopedics. So still thinking this is some sort of physical injury They did an MRI on her after she didn't get better after icing, after ibuprofen, you know, after everything, nothing was helping. So they finally did an MRI and that's when we were referred to rheumatology because they had at that point completely ruled out any sort of physical injury. So they were thinking this might be a rheumatology thing. So then we were referred to a a very large pediatric rheumatology practice in Winston-Salem And our first appointment, she was immediately diagnosed with what's called juvenile idiopathic arthritis or Mm -hmm. JIA for short. So juvenile referring to her age, idiopathic, which literally means like we don't know. So it means denoting any disease or condition which arises spontaneously or for which the cause is unknown. 
and then arthritis. So very similar to what an adult would experience as rheumatoid arthritis, but in a child, they call it JIA. And they started her on methotrexate, which is like an immunosuppressant drug. And they did steroid injections in her knee where she was swollen. And so all this time, like me being a very, very kind of alternatively focused, crunchy mom, I use oils for everything. I, you know, never take antibiotics. You know, I was so scared at this point. And all I wanted to do was listen to the doctor. And I just want to say that because it's a valid place to be. So like anyone who's going through a really scary health journey, like it's okay to let yourself just like trust your doctor and go through those steps if that's what you need emotionally. And that's like what I needed. So it wasn't until a couple months later that I finally was able to like cope with the situation and start to be like, you know what, this is bullshit. Like none of this makes any sense. Like she's not getting better with any of the treatments that she's doing with the steroids, with the methotrexate, like giving her this immunosuppressant every week. I literally had to give her shots every week to intentionally suppress her immune system, giving her ibuprofen like all the time because she was in pain all the time. I was just like, this isn't working and this does not make sense. And I had begged and begged for a Lyme screening because it was on my radar and a lot of people were asking for this too or suggesting this to me. Got a Lyme screening actually in March. So only like a month after this all happened, but it came back negative. So I felt like I didn't really have anything to go on. And then it wasn't until months later that I kept fighting and kept saying like, well, you know, this doesn't make any sense. Like, can we do a better Lyme test or can we test again for Lyme's? Very begrudgingly, you know, they did this for me, kind of appeasing the like mom that won't shut up Mm -hmm. and gave her another Lyme test and it came back positive. And so that was a huge kind of lesson for anyone listening of like, you have to advocate for yourself. And I know it's hard. And it's exhausting and it's scary, but yeah, it's exhausting. But if you like in your gut feel like something's off or you just want to rule out something because it'll make you feel better, like just do it. Just keep asking for it. Keep asking for it and you'll get it. Well, let's talk about the testing process a little bit, but just let's go back to this GIA situation. So she's getting meds, no change. And you did this for a couple of months and then you're like, nope. There's got to be something else, basically, right? So we're kind of in approximately April or May now. Yeah, basically. But also the kind of confusing timeline stuff and all this is that at some moments, I felt like she really was getting better, Mm. right? And so that's what makes it really confusing. But that's also just a general experience of any Lyme patient is like, you're going to have good days and you're going to have bad days. And so not knowing she had Lyme disease and seeing like, well, like this week she seemed to do pretty good. Like maybe we should keep doing this, right? Mm -hmm. That can get really confusing really quickly. But I think from the beginning in my mind was always like, what else can we be doing? You know, because the general diagnosis and treatment plan for JIA is you give methotrexate injections for I think at least three years after symptoms go away. So like, You give it, you keep giving it, and then finally, when you don't see symptoms anymore, you keep giving it for three years. Mm -hmm. And to me, that just never felt like logical. And also, it started to not work at all. And it became very clear. And I went back to her rheumatologist and I was like, okay, this isn't working. You know, what do we do? 
her suggestion was, oh, well, we'll just add in Humira. And that was sort of like the straw that broke the camel's back for me was like, hell no, I'm not giving her Humira. Like, this is just not making sense. And she's then a we little pretty- girl. She's, she's a little kid. Yeah, she's five. Like the problem she's experiencing in her body is not a lack of Humira or a lack of methotrexate mm-hmm. in her body. Like right. there's a problem in here. So I never liked that diagnosis to begin with because, you know, the word idiopathic is like, well, we just don't know why this is happening. And I'm like, mm-hmm. she was a completely healthy little girl. She eats well. She has a, you know, strong stock. Like she comes from healthy genes. Like there's got to be a reason that her body is attacking itself because that's Mm kind of how they explain arthritis and especially kind of rheumatoid arthritis is like, well, your body's just attacking itself for no reason. I'm like, Mm -hmm. that doesn't make any sense. Like there has to be a reason. reason. And so, you know, that's always where my mind goes is like, until I can find a reason for something, like I don't give up and I don't stop searching for that reason. You know, I had this guy on in January, he was a doctor and I, it's funny when a doctor comes on, because I've had a couple guys like this. They're an MD, but they're talking about something very different than medical stuff. And essentially, one of the takeaways that I got from this guy was like, hey, if we didn't have disconnect, if we weren't dissatisfied with things, like we couldn't achieve greatness, right? We wouldn't have electricity without dissatisfaction. We wouldn't have cars without dissatisfaction, right? Like if we were just fine with how things are, then we wouldn't strive for better, right? And so that's kind of what this is, is like, well, I'm not satisfied with this approach. So I'm going to search for better. And that's actually where a lot of people come to more of a holistic approach. They're just like, "Mm, this isn't enough of a toolbox. So I would like to broaden my toolbox and try some other things. So we're talking about really significant swelling of the knee. Did it ever become more things? Were there other symptoms that started to tip you off as well? Or was it always just the knee? Yeah, with Layla, my daughter, it was just the swelling, but the swelling did go to other places, to other joints. So, you know, at the height of the worst part, her right knee was always the worst. And that would get to about the size of, I'm going to say like a tennis ball, but on like a teeny tiny little kid, you know, Mm -hmm. so real significant. And then her ankle joints would get very, very sore and the rheumatologist would feel her joints and they said they felt swelling in her knuckle joints as well. But in hindsight, I'm kind of thinking that was more like confirmation bias than anything else because with Lyme disease, swelling doesn't typically go to the knuckle joints. It kind of sticks to like the knees and the ankles. So that's just my opinion because <laughs> mm-hmm. she, ne- I can never see it and she never complained of pain in her knuckles at all. Mm-hmm. But we're very lucky, you could say, in the fact that Lyme disease, if gone untreated and really taking control over her whole body, could look very, very scary with symptoms of brain, like neurological symptoms once it goes into the nervous system extreme fatigue and exhaustion is another common symptom. And I felt like we never had a bunch of that. Although in hindsight, it's like, okay, is this normal three, four, five-year-old behavior? Or is this the Lyme disease making her like extra irritable and extra exhausted? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kind of hard to say. Well, did you have kids older than Layla at that time? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Her older brother is now eight. So he's about two and a half years older than her. And It's funny because when he was growing up, he would have growing pains occasionally, but not very bad. And then when she was, you know, around the age of, I want to say two and a half or three, like my memory's kind of fuzzy on it. I felt like she would have growing pains all the time. And in hindsight, I'm like, oh, 
maybe that wasn't actually growing pains. Maybe Mm -hmm. that was a sign of the Lyme disease. Mm -hmm. Okay. So part of the rationale around the Lyme disease is really that other people, it's very common, right? So it was always a possibility. How about testing wise? So this is where I think it gets complicated because you had a screening done. So are you able to speak to the technology or type of testing that you were offered in the conventional setting? Because there are like I've heard Western blot can be the gold standard. I might have said that wrong, but I think that's what it is. Ink blot or Yeah, something. you're right. And then there was many people before I met my husband that have said, you know, I think maybe he's got Lyme disease. And so we went down that path for a while and we did a test and it was negative. And it's been like at least enough years where I don't remember the technology. Like I kind of tucked it away in my brain, right? And I didn't really bother with it again, even though I've got like three Lyme disease books on my shelf (laughs) from that era. (laughs) So let's talk about the difference between what was going on with the screening versus the other testing that you got. Talk to us about like, what's the difference? How did you know? Like... Just tell us yeah, about that. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I'll do what I can. I'm definitely not the expert on here. But so the first test she had done was in March. And as far as what I can see on her records, it was just called Lyme disease ABS panel. And she was screened negative. So I believe that that was just sort of a preliminary screening type of a test. Is it a blood um, test? Yes, it's a blood test. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a blood test that I could not tell you how like they... Right. This what is, exactly? This is where when I find the Lyme doctor to interview, I can bring him this question. And then yeah. Then we'll return yeah. it to both of us. Yeah. All I can say is that that test's not very accurate, especially early on. And this is like the really tricky part. Like if you got bit by a tick that was carrying Lyme disease like today and you went and got tested tomorrow, like no test is going to pick that up. Mm. That's my understanding. Like it really takes about six weeks for the antibodies to build up to a level high enough that it would show up on a test, even the Western blot. And that is what we got the positive diagnosis from later was from the Western blot. I know there's another test. I should have done this research before talking to you because I know there is a lab somewhere that's sort of like the gold standard for Lyme disease that uh, Maybe we'll put it on an addendum tests. because it's actually kind of yeah. bothering me because I can't remember because there was, I think we sent this test to Germany. Ah, the one yeah. we did. And then there was another one out of Colorado that's related to. So I'm actually going to interview Dr. Christopher Shade. And I want to say he's on the board of directors. He's kind of like in charge of Quicksilver Scientific. I don't know if you're familiar with any of these companies, but I know he's got like a big CBD line and he does liposomal stuff like glutathione and whatnot. And okay. he was on the board of one of these companies. It doesn't matter. I'm just talking out loud. But Western Blot, yeah, yes, was no. what was But I think it's also important to bring up that like Lyme disease is one test that you can get done, but there's also, it's not uncommon for there to be Mm co-infections. So if you get bit by a tick, it could be carrying Lyme disease, but it could also be carrying all sorts of other tick-borne illnesses, Rocky Mountain spotted fever, or forget what the other ones are called. And those are really not often tested for. And Mm -hmm. I don't believe they show up in that Western blot that's just for the Lyme disease. So there are places that you can get those co-infection tests screenings done as well. And we're actually in the process of doing that for Layla right now. Oh, yes. Some of them have are really big words that start with the letter B. We'll try, yeah. <laughs> try, try to make that distinction in the scientific version of the Lyme disease podcast. So we do the screening in March. We're doing rheumatology meds for on and off for a few months here and there. We get the Western blot, which fortunately turns out positive, And that's in November, right? So there's mm-hmm. a fair gap there, about six months. 
And if you have anything to interject about that timeline, fantastic. So then what happens next after you get the positive Western block? So what happened next was actually an extremely frustrating part of the journey because I just remember getting the positive result back and then going back to her rheumatologist expecting them to be like, oh, well, this makes sense now. Let's stop doing the methotrexate and let's like pivot and do something else. But pretty much all they had to say was, okay, we'll give her antibiotics, but we think she also has JIA. Like she got diagnosed with JIA and then they thought that maybe in the past couple of weeks, she just happened to also get bit by a tick. So at that point, I remember crying like so much in their doctor's offices because I was not strong enough at that moment to like look at that white coat and be like, this is bullshit. Like you guys are so wrong here. But anyway, we started antibiotics and it was amoxicillin. Doxycycline is usually what is given to adults, but for a child, they gave her amoxicillin. And Another confusing thing was, well, how long should she take them for? Because you see all sorts of different answers for that. We ended up giving it to her for 48 days, which is a very long time to be on antibiotics. And we also were referred, I kind of kept stomping my feet until they referred me to like someone else that could make more sense of things for me. So they referred me to an infectious disease doctor. Mm -hmm. And he basically told me, you know, okay, she's taking antibiotics now for 48 days. She can stop now, even though she still had swelling in her ankle at this point. I remember very clearly her right ankle was still very swollen. And he said, well, that's just die off. So when you're killing Lyme disease in your body, the spirochetes is what they're called, is the little bacteria that are kind of bore into your system and they bore into your joints. And when you take antibiotics, it kills them off and the dead cells are now floating around your body and it can cause a lot of swelling, a lot of symptoms, even though you're killing them off. So that was his idea was, well, you've killed off the Lyme. It's been 48 days. If she still has symptoms after this, then she's still got arthritis. She's still got JIA. Even though he really didn't want to take into account the fact that she's probably had Lyme disease for years at this point. And we know that antibiotics are not effective after years, but he didn't really want to like admit that to me, it seemed like. So, well, what um, would have been the next course of action if they hadn't done antibiotics for the Lyme disease? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that's the thing with Western medicine. And at this point, we were really only dealing with Western medicine doctors because that's all that my bandwidth could handle. Mm -hmm. They don't have any other answers. They're just like, okay, antibiotics, you gave them to her, they should work. If they don't work, then it's not Lyme disease anymore. It's, we don't have a tool, then we don't have any. And we don't tools. have a tool and like, let's keep calling it rheumatoid arthritis or let's keep calling it JIA. Well, you know, what was interesting with that conversation of what he told you was I was resonating a lot because I see that in practice for other reasons, right? Die off and whatnot. And I don't usually hear it talked about otherwise in right. regular practice. So anyway. Interesting. Yeah. It can me. also be called like a Herx reaction right. yeah. as well. Yeah. It's just I don't usually hear that talked about <laughs> in Western medicine, I guess you might right. say. So interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. So that, that was also my last doctor visit. That was like the last straw. I was like, I just can't handle Western medicine doctors anymore, at least not the ones that were in my area. And that's sort of like I was going to kind of suggest this at the end, but if anyone is dealing with Lyme disease, like please go find a Lyme literate medical doctor. Like just don't it's do what I do, <laughs> you know, like it is hard to find, but it's so worth it. 
because really like the current literature and the current research and the current things that are happening around Lyme disease are not taught to regular doctors. Unless like your regular doctor is going to go seek out this information, they are not being told accurate information. They just aren't. Yeah. And I mean, you can't know everything, right? And so exactly. that's why you go to someone who specializes in Lyme, right? Or that has right. that arm. But, you know, it's just not super duper common. And there's no fault of anyone. It's hard to know everything. But I think the other thing to be really clear about, and part of the reason I wanted to talk to you about this topic in general, is it's a lot to be an advocate. And we talked about this earlier. It's exhausting. You know, you have to push really hard. We just went through a pretty significant medical experience with my mom this spring. And I've got two nurses in the family. And then me, who's in the medical field, very different, not in the hospital. And if we didn't have those people pushing, there's just a lot of things that would have happened that would not have been okay, right? It's not really right. anyone's fault. It's just sort of like, you're just kind of going through the motions and showing up for things. And it's like, your providers are caring for a lot of people. And you're caring for you. So you have to be a really good advocate for yourself to stand out amongst the other people in order to get what you want sometimes. So anyway, I always used to say this when I worked in really significant, like I worked in dialysis, which are very, very, very medically treated clients. And I just remember saying you have to be such an advocate for yourself if you want to stand out in this crowd. So anyway, so we're in November, we're probably past November, because you got the diagnosis in November, they needed 48 days of antibiotics, maybe a little bit better, but we still have swelling in the ankle. So then what happens? So what happened after that was I was connected with a woman local to me, an herbalist who had Lyme disease herself and who had been working with an herbal protocol through Stephen Bruner's work. Mm -hmm. So Stephen Bruner kind of wrote like the book on healing Lyme naturally. I think that's what the book is called, Healing Lyme Naturally. And I actually had ordered that book earlier on, maybe in like right after we got the Lyme diagnosis, probably I was like, okay, I got to start learning. I got to start reading. And so I read his book and then it was sort of coincidence that someone had recommended this local herbalist to me. And she was like, yeah, I've trained with Steven Bruner. Like that's the protocol that I follow. And I was like, oh, wonderful. Because it's a very complicated set and protocol of herbs. And especially when you're dealing with a child, it's like I did not feel comfortable just sort of like throwing a bunch of herbs at this that I had no idea what I was doing. So she came in, she was, she was like the total angel of my life at that point, like You know, I would talk to her for hours on the phone, just like processing, like not only did she help us with the healing side, but she helped us with like the emotional side too. Like, I know what you're going through. Like, this is not easy. And she was just great. So we very slowly started introducing different tinctures and different supplements and probiotics and pretty much like all the healthy things, but kind of up a notch, you know, Mm -hmm. and we've been working with her still like up, up until now doing that. And Layla has really gotten so much better. I'd say she's probably about 80% improved from, you know, back when we were doing all the methotrexate and the ibuprofen and like all the things and she really was not doing well. And then we just sort of cut all that out and started really focusing on herbs and nutrition and supplements and essential oils and all those things. And she's gotten a lot better. But she's not 100% there yet. And the most recent, we actually just had a visit with a totally new doctor I'm working with. We're driving two hours away just to go specifically to an integrative health clinic that 
is excellent. They've come highly recommended and they've helped a lot of people with Lyme disease specifically. So we just actually went there a couple days ago. So we're really, really relieved to finally be somewhere that we feel like we're in good hands. And the first thing out of the nurse practitioner's mouth was also the first thing that was on our minds, which is the reason that she's not totally better yet is because of mold toxicity. And mold toxicity and Lyme disease, it's like you can't really talk about them either one without like bringing the other one up. If you have Lyme disease and you are dealing with any amount of mold toxicity, it is almost impossible for your body to kick out the Lyme totally because like mold toxicity just completely suppresses your immune system. It's not going to be strong enough to kick out the Lyme. So that's what we're undergoing. We're about to get a test done that's going to confirm that. But I would call you if it comes back that she doesn't have mold toxicity because I'll be shocked, you know. (laughs) Well, this just got more interesting and already interesting situation. We're getting into those areas that I'm always like, oh, my gosh, these are heavy. These are heavy, heavy topics. Yeah. So I just wanted to acknowledge. Yeah, I have a couple of Buner's books. He is kind of like one of the fathers of a real medicine, I feel like, sort of. He's got these very robust compendium texts on herbals, herbal antivirals, herbal antibiotics, Lyme disease. So he's pretty impressive. So that was very cool that you found someone to advocate and to be your kind of, like you said, your angel. So that went for probably at least December, January. I'm actually curious if you titrated off of your other meds slowly or if you just kind of quit and started. Yeah, we actually did titrate off the methotrexate. I didn't want to just completely cold turkey that one. But that was really the only one. Like I said, they wanted to give her Humira and I was like, heck no. So we never started that one. And then the ibuprofen at that point was given as needed. But at that point, it was needed every day. Mm -hmm. So from there, we started from the herbalist recommendations, started using a lot more Boswellia. Mm -hmm. And um, which is anti-inflammatory, which is an anti-inflammatory. We were kind of rotating through Boswellia, turmeric. Mm-hmm. Um, MSM supplements and mm-hmm. trying to fit the hardest part is when you don't want to introduce everything at one time yep. because then you yep. don't know what is and isn't working. Right. So it can be really frustrating when it's like someone's like, oh, we'll try this and try this. And you're like, okay, I want to try that, but like I have to try these other things strategically. First and, like, see how it goes. So we were experimenting with all these things and it seemed like the Boswellia was really helping with the pain, but then at the same time, it would also make her really nauseous. So all of this is like complicated with the fact that you're dealing with like a four or five year old who has, you know, can only handle so much. Yeah. And you want to give them the least amount of things possible. And what you just told us was essentially you tried a variety of anti-inflammatories to see what worked the best. So that was like yeah. step one. Then I would assume you went in and tried to pinpoint and target the lime with some different herbs a little bit more, more so than, you know, just like yeah. in a different And aspect. I can list like at the height of when we were giving all the things and we had, again, slowly introduced these things kind of one at a time, but at the height of kind of a full rundown of all the things she would be taking in one day would include Chinese skullcap, meadowsweet, cordyceps, Solomon seal, stinging nettle, red sage, Japanese knotweed, dandelion, and teasel. And those were all in tincture form. Mm. And then on top of that, we were giving an MSM supplement, a multi-greens, vitamin C, vitamin D, probiotics, and we were doing an essential oil blend up her spine. Um, Sounds and like a also lot of immune support. Diet. Oh, sorry. Yeah. yeah. No, you're fine. Yeah. yeah, lots of immune support, some like joint supplementation, right? And I hear some like things that would really support the adrenals there. So kind of like just very nourishing so the body can kind of fight it off on its own a little bit, maybe. 
Yeah, like, exactly. Maybe. Um, um, just collagen helpful. is an excellent, excellent thing to give, but we just could never find a collagen supplement that didn't make her throw up. So that, oh, that wow. was like a hard thing for us in small doses. I could give her like, I'd make jello out of it and give her some jello, but like, there's only so much jello a child can eat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and then, you know, every time we'd give her like, even like a quarter of a dosage of a collagen, like she would usually get really nauseous or throw it up. So, yeah. but the Lyme disease likes to eat away at the collagen in your joints. Mm-hmm. And so it's really important to try to get that in somehow. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. So then let's see. So this is a lot of months of nourishment to the immune system, to the joints, to bring down inflammation, right? So that's like a big, big topic. I'm sure it felt like a bit of a job. Sounds like she was a trooper, really a trooper. When did you start seeing differences, would you say, when you started doing this? That's a great question. I feel like the differences happened very subtly. Mm -hmm. Um, I can look back to when she was doing really poorly and realize, wow, like she really has improved. But then some days, if I look at like the microscopic version of a day, mm-hmm. like the other day, she jumped on the trampoline and then she was like immediately in pain that night. And I can still see some swelling in her joint, you know? So there's some days that I'm like, she's not better at all. Like, what was mm-hmm. it all for? And then I look back and I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> like, she's actually doing so much better. So I can't really answer that because it was such a slow progress mm-hmm. into getting better. Which and is, then some days are still better than others, mm-hmm. for sure. Which is why it's good to take at least an occasional benchmark of like where you are, right? Because your memory does not always retain everything. When things are better, you don't seem to retain it as well as when things are bad, right? So fortunately, you were able to remember <laughs> when things are bad. I mean, fortunately or unfortunately, but it's just good to journal that a touch, right? Totally. Or like to yeah. have that kind of listed out in some capacity, do a multiple symptom questionnaire or whatever, because it helps you think outside of your emotions sometimes. So totally. Which is yeah. If you, I, could, I could break out my journal, we could go through it all, but yeah, <laughs> I don't want to kidding. bore, you, bore uh, you too much. But I, I just want to reiterate that that is excellent advice. Anyone going through any sort of health journey, like keep a diary, keep a diary, keep a diary. Mm-hmm. Well, I have a couple more questions because like this is a big topic and we're not going to go into that. But so you're saying that the next thing you're hearing is that mold and Lyme go together frequently. Or if you have like a little bit of exposure, it just kind of comes in and takes up all kinds of because I think about like, I mean, this is heavy, in my opinion, when I think about mold being a thing next. Like, do you think that your home is affected or where do you think the potential exposure is? And why do you think that that is an issue? Yeah, so we live in a rainforest, basically. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of people are aware there's a rainforest in North Carolina, but it is. And it's called Boone, North Carolina. <laughs> and it's in the Appalachian Mountains. It's just an extremely wet environment. And so there's always, you know, between, let's say, September through December, especially, there's always like rotting leaves on the ground that are molding and like mold spores are in the air that way. Mm-hmm. But then also on top of that, our house, well, the first house we lived in when this all started was very old. It was built in 1920. The basement, when there was heavy rains, there would definitely be flooding in the basement. We kept the dehumidifier going, but our cabinets were old. They were made out of particle board. Like we smelled it. I'm sensitive to mold and, and I have really bad allergies. So there's definitely days that I could just smell it and feel it. And my husband as well. We moved into a new house in just this past May, and it has a basement. 
I swore I'd never buy another house with a basement because of this issue, but we fell in love with this house and we're like, all right, we'll figure out how to deal with this. And when it rains really heavily, it floods as well. My husband's a carpenter. He just quit his job. So he's going to start working on our house. Yay. So we will fix the water damage issues and stuff. And we won't have like water running into our basement anymore. We're getting dehumidifiers going. We're getting air filters going and whatnot. But You know, at the end of the day, we can't ignore the fact that, yeah, we have a moldy basement. We have an old house. We have leaky water. We can smell it. I can feel it. My husband feels it. And it also just makes the most sense for what our daughter's been experiencing as well, not being able to fully kick the Lyme disease out. Yeah. Ooh, the next chapter. So (laughs) on that note, though, I think the important piece is, is, you know, acknowledging where you are, supporting yourself. So this is a journey. It sounds like you had really good support over the last several months, which took you from a place of like trying to survive to a place of we can do this, I think. So what I'm wondering is how did you, one, support your daughter without overexerting yourself? And so in general, how did you also support yourself? Yeah, with my daughter, like you said, she was such a trooper. We always kind of joked we were very glad that it happened to her and not our son because (laughs) he would not be as patient for sure. You know, she was always, she's just such a bright light. So every time we would go to the doctors, which was a two hour drive down the mountain, you know, in her eyes, it was like, yay, a day trip with mommy, you know, and I would take her, we'd make it special, you know, take her out to like her favorite restaurant afterward and trying to make it as fun as possible and finding what works for her. Like luckily we taught her how to swallow pills pretty early on. And so when it comes to any sort of recommendation that's given to me, I'm always like, does it come in pill form? Does it come in pill form? Because she can knock down some pills or tincture form. Those are much easier for her than like a powder that she would have to taste or something that would roll on her skin. Like I'm still looking for a magnesium supplement that she can handle because her skin, like if it starts to itch or burn, she just like loses it. So I think that it's important for children, especially to respect their bodies enough that if something's like really not working for them, you have to try to find an alternative and not push it too much. Even if like, if I was going through this, I'd be eating all the kale and I'd be not touching sugar ever and that kind of things with a kid. I try to respect the fact that she is a child and find ways to not have it impact her life like beyond what it has to. And luckily when she was in preschool, her two teachers happened to also have rheumatoid arthritis. And so we had lots of conversations. I'm always telling them they should get tested for Lyme disease. But besides that, they were so supportive. So on the playground on days where she couldn't run around and she couldn't bounce around and play like the other kids would play. Like they would do something special with her or they'd have like the other kids come inside a little earlier. So she didn't feel like she was like the only one not playing. Right. So sounds like you had a pretty amazing community behind you. Yeah. Yeah. We really did. And And I I hear a lot of positivity there too. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to answer your second question of how did I take care of myself was not as well as I did her. I think we always take care of the other people in our lives better than we take care of ourselves. But I would allow myself to cry a lot. I'm a crier. Like you guys can probably hear me like I'm a little choked up over here because talking about all this is it's emotional. And I don't hide that. Like I don't pretend. I also, one of the most important things that I think I did in the beginning was like, I shut down my inbox 
you know, like I would share occasionally what was going on because I had a lot of people that wanted to know what was going on with Layla, but I wouldn't go back and like read all the comments and read all the things in my inbox and stuff because I have a large audience. I have 50,000 people on my email list. So like, as soon as I drop the bomb that my daughter has Lyme disease, I get like 500 emails back. That's like, Oh, you should talk to this guy and you should talk to this guy and you should do this and you should do this and you should do this. And I was like, I cannot handle this. Right. Mm -hmm. So allowing yourself to not read every piece of advice and allow yourself to find your own path. Because even though it feels so urgent in the moment, you have time, like you have time to sit and read a book about Lyme disease if you want and decide what your plan of action is going to be before you just jump into something. So that and a ton of essential oils, like I think I went through like a gallon of stress away, which is like one of my favorite blends in the course of those past year, for sure. I appreciate that because, you know, we have to acknowledge this isn't weakness. This is just where we are. And so being able to sit with that without judgment of ourselves is an important piece. It's important to reflect on the past and to consider how we might want it to shape the future as well. So thank you so much for sharing this story because there's something about like people's personal stories that we like, right? And we like to hear someone's personal experience. And I trust and value your personal experience and your opinions. And I look forward to assembling the rest of this miniature Lyme series. So thank you so much for being the real life example for us today. Yeah. Well, and I'm sorry, I can't come on and tell you guys that we have the answer and she's 100% better quite yet. But (laughs) Yeah, no one could. And uh, I'll certainly keep you updated if we have any big turning of events over here. Yeah, awesome. Well, again, thank you so much. And we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Krista. One of the best gifts you could give us at The Less Stressed Life is your feedback. We are paid in podcast reviews. If you enjoyed this or any other episode, please leave us a review. In the iTunes store or from your podcast app, just search for Less Stressed Life as if you're not already subscribed. Click on the banana face image, scroll to the bottom where it shows the text of other reviews, and write a review. While you're there, hey, make sure you hit subscribe. For Android or Stitcher users, you gotta go to the the desktop site and search for Less Stress Life and then scroll down to leave a review. Stitcher doesn't load Apple reviews on their site, so if you want, you can leave a review in both places. Your feedback means a lot to the success of the show. Thanks so much for taking the time to do that. You rock. 